Welcome to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. All right, I'm going to start with uh, some pop psychology. So, I am not um, qualified to talk about psychology, so I'll cite some sources. Um, I, I'm going to talk about family of origin stuff. So if you ever like watch a TV show or read a book or something, and there's like the super tough character that's going to therapy, and they're like, I don't want to talk to you about my mom or something like that. Um, that's because I think that therapy always leads you back to your family of origin and, and how your mom and dad instilled things in you that you don't know and may have messed you up <laughs> in ways that you're not aware of. Um, so I'm, I, I also just recently read or listened to, whenever I say I read something, I listen to it, um, to Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by uh, Pete Scazzaro. I'm catching up on things that most of the church did like four years ago. So um, it, it talks about family of origin stuff a lot too. Um, so... And I generally have a thought about my family of origin that I wasn't really scarred. I think that I'm actually extremely grateful for my parents. I think they they did a good job. But there still is stuff that they instilled in me that I realize after the fact, oh, that's why I'm like that. And actually, a lot of the things that I'm kind of proud of um, were instilled by my my parents. So um, I, I also think that figuring that out for me can help me be empathetic to people who didn't get those good lessons, uh, which is important. So, we are talking about work today. So I'll talk about how I learned some of those things from my father. So, when, and for any Miller kids in the room, this is your grandpa, Rick. Um, we're gonna talk about him. This likely applies to my brother, Ryan, as well. We grew up in the same house, same time. Um, so when we were growing up, uh, my mom primarily stayed at home and looked after us, and my dad worked. Um, so he was still, he was around a lot of the time, um, he came to our games. He coached my team a couple times. I do remember that there were a few times, like he would, he would go off on business trips, um, kind of, I don't know, every other month, once a month, something like that. Sometimes to like the Dominican Republic or uh, Belize or places I didn't really know what they were, but I knew they were far away. Um, and I always got the impression growing up that dad's work was important. You know, he, he went off on these trips. There was one or two times where he was, was gone during my birthday. And I remember he like talked to me about it, asked me if that was okay. And I said yes. And I do think I thought it was okay. But I also remember that to him, what he was doing with this work was important enough. It was important enough to him that um, he would do that. He also communicated to me that I was important by asking me if that was okay, which, I, you know, was good. Um, but I got the impression through... Um, through my father and how his, he interacted with work, that work is really important, um, that it's important to work hard, and one thing that he always taught us is that everything that is worth doing is worth doing well. Um, and that certainly applied to his work. Um, another thing that I realize is pretty unique to how I grew up. Um, for his job, my, when, let's see, my dad first moved to Corvallis. So my mom and dad, they grew up in Colorado. That's where their families were. It's where their parents were. They moved to Oregon, which is where Ryan was born, to do campus ministry. Um, and then I think when Ryan was 
a year old or something, they, they came to Wheaton, Illinois, where my dad took a position at like the home office of Missions Door, which it wasn't called Missions Door then, but um, really that was him working for the mission organization that we're, that we're a part of, that Ryan and Tyler uh, and Devin are all appointed with. So um, he moved for his work to, um, to Wheaton, Illinois. And that means that they did not live near their family. So when we were growing up, we would, like once a year, go to Colorado and visit our actual grandparents, but that means that when we were growing up, we didn't have family nearby. But what we did have was uh, my dad's coworkers, um, which sounds weird to say it that way, because I didn't think of them as coworkers. They were like our second family. Um, there were, Jack and Dottie Estep were like our surrogate grandparents, so they were like, my, he was my dad's boss, which I didn't even realize till I don't know, I was 10 maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, we would go over to their house, hang out, and Ryan and I would fall asleep because we were kids, and we would like sleep in their, I, I can still picture the bedroom that we would go and sleep in when we would hang out at their house. Um, and like one of the fairly formative parts of my life, or that ended up being a kind of a positive, I think we've, Ryan and I have both talked about this up front, one summer when we were growing up, my mom had to be hospitalized. It was a depression, basically. She, she went to a, um, you know, a psych ward type thing, to, to say it. Um, and that summer for us was really fun because we went and stayed with friends. Like, we had, we had friends at our church and that my dad worked with that just took us in. They were like our family. We would stay with one at one house in the morning, another one in the afternoon. It was a... It was a summer of playing video games, playing outside with our, with our best friends, and it was great. And it was when my family was in complete crisis, and because of this family of our church and my dad's coworkers, which is ministry, so there was a lot of overlap there too, most of them went to the same church, um, it was this great positive where, where kind of the community came together, and a, a scenario that could have been scarring for us, frankly, um, ended up being a great positive and formative thing for our lives. So that's kind of my, my background with my dad's work. Um, oh, the other thing that I learned from him is, that I realize now, is that fulfilling work is a very important part of a fulfilling life. Um, and this was kind of highlighted. We just went back to, um, or he, he just retired. My dad retired, I think like two weeks ago, at most. It might have just been one week ago, a little over a week. Um, but we were just out in the Dominican Republic for the 75th anniversary of Missions Door and my dad's retirement celebration. Um, and the, the retirement celebration for my dad was awesome. They, like, they very much honored him. It was, uh, I mean, it's the only part I went to, but I would say the best part of what they did <laughs> was, was my dad's retirement stuff. Uh, so like for, for me and Lacey, it was kind of vacation. We weren't working because we're not really with the mission. Uh, so we went to his stuff. Um, so it, it was really awesome to see his life and career honored. I actually, in retrospect, wish my kids could have been there um, to better understand what Grandpa did and how many lives he touched. Because he really, he did work that was significant. Um, I feel like, you know, in my life, I have chosen to do ministry. So, you know, I'm up here speaking. But I also chose the much more lucrative career route, <laughs> frankly. Like, I, I'm, I'm working more for money to support my family, and I, I support ministry, but I didn't choose ministry, uh, at least as my primary thing, and he did. And when we were there, we got to see at least a glimpse of the fruit that, that he's produced through that life, through a life lived well. Um, and like I said, work has been important to him. It's a huge part of his life. Um, I'm curious how he's gonna do in retirement. Um, I have always known my dad as someone who works and who works hard. And you know, when he's not working, he's 
at home, a lot of the times he's doing work-like stuff. He's, he's managing our finances, which, you know, he's the one who taught me to do that well. So that's kind of another, like, things that are passed down um, to your kids thing. Um, so kind of a, um, another thing that I was reminded of. So Jack Estep, who I, who I said earlier was like my grandpa, um, he retired, I don't know, 20 years ago. It's, it's when my dad became the head of the mission, so more than that, 25, 30 years ago. It's been a long time. Um, but his retirement was really interesting because he retired from the mission, and then next thing I knew, I'm sure I'm missing years, he was the executive pastor at some church in um, Denver because he hired my mom to go and be the worship pastor. So he was in retirement but was an executive pastor at a pretty successful church. Um, then eventually he retired again, <laughs> I guess, if you even call it that, and he moved to a retirement community um, out in Pennsylvania. And while he was out there, he didn't think there was a very good church, so he started a church at the retirement community, and he still preaches there, and he's in his 90s. Like, he, he was actually going to come to this thing in the, in the Dominican Republic and speak there, because he was like the, the president before my dad, who was retiring as a president. But his health, you know, he's 91. His health didn't allow that. It's kind of a long flight. But apparently that same Sunday, he had just preached or something like that. So he's still, he is retired at least twice but he still is doing what he loves and doing ministry. Um, so, oh, and, and Jack is, he's arguably who my, who's Nolan's uh, middle name, which is Jack, is, is named after too. Um, so what that kind of taught me is that, you know, we look at retirement as this big goal um, when you don't have to work anymore to support yourself. People envision traveling around, playing golf every day, um, you know, basically a life of pure leisure. Um, and I think that Jack just kind of shows me that that's not exactly what it is. And I don't think that's what God means when, um, that there, for there to be a point when we don't work anymore. Um, I think that gets at like the difference between career and sustaining yourself and work. And that work is actually a bigger thing than that. I mean, God works, Jesus works. They don't have to work to support themselves. They work to create good in the world. And that's what I see like um, what Jack, my surrogate grandfather, does, is he continued to do God's work even when he had retired from one to two careers. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm very curious to see what my dad will do, uh, knowing kind of what um, his mentor did. Um, so I think that, like I said, our idea of retirement highlights a misconception about work, which is what that clip showed as well, um, that it's kind of a necessary evil, something to be endured, um, but it's something that you endure for like 45 to 50 years of your life. So that's, like if that's really what work is, that life's terrible. <laughs> um, so I think that we really need to figure out how to get this right, um, how we can live a life with work that's fulfilling. Um, and, and again, I, I really envy what I've seen from my dad and from, from Jack where there is a much deeper sense of work in their lives that is fulfilling and that they do whether they are paid for it or not um, because it is something that needs to be done. Um, let's see, the, our world kind of values work by, based by on how much money it, it makes. Um, so I think we need to understand if that's right. Um, I, I suspect it's not. Um, I, I think that there's a different way of how God values our work uh, that, we, that we'll look at. Um, and I want to figure out how do we work with God so that retirement is just something that frees us up um, instead of like losing our guiding um, purpose in life. And I, the other, kind of the other side that I think about is I hear about people who retire, this is mostly at, at my job, 
that they retire and then you hear that they died like two weeks after they retired. It's like that was the thing that kind of was, gave them structure and purpose and then when it's taken away, whether, I mean, it seems like a correlation <laughs> um, that they kind of die and, and more from like a nothing to, to do or to live for sort of thing. Um, we'll also talk about whether work is always good. Um, obviously I'm gonna say it's not always good and we'll talk about you know, the, the other side of this, rest and Sabbath. Um, we talk about that a lot. Um, rest and Sabbath are very good. Um, and we'll, we'll try to talk about how to balance work with rest. Um, but next we will check out this Song of Ascent because that's Psalm 127 is kind of the lens through, with, through which we'll talk about all these things. All right, so here is the psalm. And as it says at the top, it's a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a song, a psalm of Solomon, which I didn't even know there were any of those, but this is one. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. So that is the entirety of the psalm, five verses. Um, So on initially reading this, uh, when I realized I was gonna speak on it, my first reaction was, that seems really disjointed. <laughs> it feel, felt to me like two ideas. One, first it's talking about work, pretty clear for two verses, and then it starts talking about children all of a sudden afterwards, um, and I did not understand why it was doing that. Um, after doing a little research, and really it's written right there, so I don't know why I didn't catch that initially. This is a psalm written by Solomon. It's one of maybe two, but when I did more research, this might be the only one written by Solomon. And it reads to me a lot like the Proverbs read, which is a, a book written by Solomon. It also reads kind of like the middle, like some middle parts of Ecclesiastes where it's really just Proverbs. It's just, you know, wise sayings. And in those cases, they, aren't, they often aren't that connected. It's like, you know, these two Proverbs are connected. These next two seemingly have nothing to do with it. It felt a lot like me to that. It's like, oh, Solomon's writing. He's just saying one thing that's true and then another thing that's true without much relation. And somehow it got grouped into one psalm. Um, but there, as I kept researching and reading, there is a connection, which we'll get to, um, but I wanna start at the beginning with all of this stuff about work being worthless without God. Um, so the beginning of this psalm, um, again, talks kind of about how work without God is useless. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries is no good. So just quick, that you know, it sounds like um, don't work against God, right? So if God's not participating in the work, it's saying that it's useless. Um, so there's a few ways to react to this. Um, one is, oh, if nothing is worthwhile unless God's doing it, or God does everything that actually matters, what am I doing working so hard? Like, what, shouldn't I just let God do all the work? And you know, I'll pray for God to help not do very much and he'll just take care of it. So I'm gonna hang out, God's got this, right? <laughs> um, so this, 
I mean, as you can tell from what I said earlier, this isn't really the right reaction, I don't think. <laughs> uh, Ryan's pointed out a few times in the last few weeks that you've got to be careful with how you read the Psalms. Uh, in this case, you, you kind of have to understand the intent or the focus of what the Psalm is about. In this case, I think that the intent uh, has more to do with God's power and praising him than it does to give a breakdown on how we should or shouldn't work, um, or if we should or shouldn't work. Uh, and when you're reading Psalms like this and you want to interpret them well, it's good to read through other passages of the Bible and make sure that your interpretation fits with the rest of Scripture. And it does not take long reading other passages of the Scripture to find out that uh, the whole, I'm going to not work and let God take care of everything, isn't really, uh, isn't the message of Scripture as a whole. Uh, this passage is from 2 Thessalonians, which seems to be addressing people who took that exact stance. Uh, it's Paul writing to the church. He says, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. So this is a, a different part of scripture. It's a, a letter um, it's much more prescriptive. It is written to a specific people, um, but the, the ability to like draw a line between what he's saying to the Thessalonians in our lives is certainly more straightforward than it is with the Psalms. So um, I, I think that this pretty clearly applies to us that our job is not to be idle, to, to sit around and try to let God take care of things or pray for provision while we're lazing around watching Netflix or something like that. That's not what God wants. Um, being idle and, and lazy is not... Um, not the correct takeaway from this. Um, and I mean, so that's not the application. Don't, don't work is not what I'm getting at here. That would be a very hard application point anyway because money tends to dry up if you don't work, which is not great. Um, hopefully this was clear too because I mean, God worked. God worked in creating. Um, Paul worked. You, you can read through the, the, and actually right next to this in Second Thessalonians, he talked about how he worked his entire time there so he could support himself and wasn't dependent on the church. And I mean, Jesus worked. His ministry was him, him walking around, um, not having anywhere to lay his head, healing, teaching, um, mentoring the, the 12 disciples and, and then more people. I mean, what he was doing, it was work. I mean, he, he was working. Um, so that would be a, it's a very hard read of the, of the scriptures to say um, that you should just not work. Um, all right, now back to, to verse two, because this, this kind of gets to the other side. Um, it says, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. So the beginning of this, it kind of paints a picture of someone um, who is always working out of fear and anxiety, um, anxiously working for food to eat. Um, this is a person working for themselves that cannot, that's trying to control everything around them, not trusting in God to bless their work, uh, and never feeling like they have enough to be secure. Uh, and God says to this person that you don't need to kill yourself by working so hard. Um, come to me and I will give you rest. So what we have in these two verses, the psalm that we're looking at and the one from Second Thessalonians, it's kind of two sides of the idea of work, which Megan got at at the, the introduction and the clip we saw was kind of the, the idly lazy side. There's the, the, the Thessalonians who are idle and lazy um, who hear a passage like the beginning of Psalm 127 and they say, great, God takes care of it, I'm not gonna work, I'm gonna relax. Um, how this would look today, 
Um, it would be like finding ways not to work when you're working. Um, it would be being on the clock and running errands or playing video games or working another job during the same work hours. So like, if, like on social media, there, there's a lot of this stuff. There's, on TikTok, there's memes of people being like, hey, check out how little I'm able to work or I'm able to do two jobs at once or it's minimum effort Monday or I'm, I'm quiet quitting, which means like, you're, you have a job, but you're doing the bare minimum, virtually not working, and kind of just seeing how long you can keep getting paid to not work. So there's, that's like a whole focus, and there's, there's like forums and Reddit stuff about this that's basically like, how do you not work and get paid and do other stuff during your work hours? That is basically, I mean, really, it's stealing from your company, frankly, if you want, really want me to boil it down to it. But that's the idle, lazy, um, or I mean, the other side of it is, just being unemployed and never trying to work or trying to figure out how you can just get other people to, to pay for all your expenses and not doing anything. So that's kind of how that looks. And on this side, retirement sounds perfect. It's nothing but leisure and indulgence. Um, and again, there's two sides to this. There's also like the, like one of the things, every time I take a vacation, take PTO, it's great to get paid not to work. <laughs> um, but that's not what God intends for our lives for a long term. Having a vacation is very different than how to live your normal life. Um, the other side of it that um, is kind of addressed by this psalm is the anxious workers. Um, so characteristics of this today would be workaholics, um, people who are working and working with no one in sight, can't take a day off. They have trouble sleeping because there's always something to be done have a hard time relaxing or having fun or unwinding, and they're trying to control everything and everyone around them um, and just have a very anxious, stressed out type of spirit. And I mean, a lot of the times, people can look very, very successful when they're like this. I mean, they're, um, you know, it's one, of the, one of the books that talks to this well, again, I'm, I'm catching up on things everyone else read four years ago, um, in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, the author is talking about his own life of building like a megachurch. Like he, he came from a, I work too much, I don't ever take a rest, and then he writes a very good book on getting hurry out of your life and Sabbath and resting. Um, but it came, he started at a point where he was working all the time, and that's kind of what the anxious, anxious working um, side of it is. And I think that all of us have a tendency toward one or both of these. I think most people kind of have one side or the other that they tend towards. Um, I tend more towards the working side. Um, the stuff I shared about my dad growing up, um, I think he tends toward the working side, for sure. Um, like I said, he, he worked a lot, his work was important. I think he balanced it pretty well, so you know, I don't feel like he was like way unhealthy, but I think that was his tendency. Um, but I, I have a little bit of both. Um, depending on the season of my life, um, I kind of go to both sides. There are times when I'm working and I'm, you know, the motivation is low and I'm kind of hanging out, not doing much. And there's other times when I'll keep working late into the night um, because I'm more, mo I mean, it's weird because there's like the motivation side of it and then the are you working too much because it's unhealthy side, which is a weird thing to balance. Um, but anyway, so there's two sides. Um, and let's see, the Psalm we're looking at today in the second verse it's talking specifically to people who are in the anxious, anxious workers category um, or to that part of our life tendencies. Uh, it's very similar to another verse that we often teach from here at Damascus Road. So this should sound familiar if you've been around a while. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So, very similar message to the psalm we're looking at. Um, Come to God and he will give you rest. And again, key point on both of these, they are addressed to people who are tired, worn out, and working anxiously from early in the morning until late at night. So as we read this and seek to apply it to our lives, we should ask ourselves if that describes us. Now, there's truth in both of these passages, whether you are an anxious worker or you tend toward you know, idle laziness, um, or, or if you're right on, um, obviously there's application there too. But the surface level of should I rest and not work is only um, part of the point. It's not justification, these verses are not justification for idleness and laziness, but an invitation out of anxious striving and trying to control your world through constant effort. So kind of to summarize, the idle people, or or that idle side, need to get to work. (laughs) Um, It is not God's intent for you to laze around and not accomplish anything and just rest and consume media all the time or whatever it is you you would do if you're just not working. Um, And the anxious worker side need to come to God and rest. And really, the way these two things balance is that both sides um, need a healthy rhythm of work and rest. And... um, this, this is what Sabbath is about. The entire idea of Sabbath in the Bible is about a healthy balance in your life and in your relationship between work and rest, between striving and renewing. Um, the short version, and I'll point you to a resource that's way better, uh, short version is you work six days, you work hard on those six days, and you rest one. That's really what Sabbath is. It's modeled after um, God in creation where he created for six days, said it was good, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And kind of the, the overarching trump card, because this is a debate. Like, if you read through the Bible, there are verses you can pick out that says, oh, at this point, the Sabbath isn't a big deal anymore, which is, I don't think is what it's saying. But kind of the trump card is God rested. Uh, Jesus rested and observed the Sabbath. I mean, there are, there are times when he healed on the Sabbath and things like that, where he did good on the Sabbath, and there's, there's whole passages on that. But his, his normal was observing the Sabbath that he rested on those days. Uh, And really in the the culture he grew up in um, and the Pharisaic tradition, that was, I mean, that was absolutely what you did. And they they were kind of on the very legalistic side of that. Um, Let's see, so, and being, if you get short on either the six days of work or the one day of rest, uh, your life will get out of rhythm. Um, On the, if you're short on the six days of rest, it's tending toward idleness and laziness. If you're short on your, sorry, six days of work, if you're short on your one day of rest, um, you will tend to stress out and um, live a hurried, harried life, uh, and that leads to all kinds of problems, both spiritually, emotionally, uh, and physically. Um, and I guess for, well, I'll get to application um, toward the end. So, all right, so this is the application about rest and Sabbath. That's um, one of the main takeaways from the psalm. Um, but before we go on to the part about children that was seemingly unconnected, I'm going to circle back to the first verse um, that talks about needing to work with God or it being meaningless. So uh, I'll read that verse again. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. Let's see, so we already talked about how this doesn't mean that we just shouldn't work because God's taking care of it. Um, so how, how 
does this apply? Um, I think the real takeaway is pretty simple, that we need to be doing work that is with God, that is aligned with his purposes. Um, we should be joining in his work and have his goals as paramount in our work, not our own. Uh, a couple of examples of give, getting this wrong to illustrate. So the first one, the Tower of Babel, uh, Genesis 11, if you want to read the full passage. I think people, hopefully people are pretty familiar. So people come together to build a great city and a tower to reach the heavens. Um, it says that they are building it so that they will be famous and not be scattered all over the world. Uh, and this, this is where language is mixed up in the Bible. So this time they're all speaking the same language. Um, now those goals are in opposition of God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. So while it may sound like oh, they're just trying to build up a, a cool city or, or build, you know, come together. They're all speaking the same language. There's kind of a oneness. Like you can, you can kind of read it without the context and be like, hey, these goals are fine. Why is God so bent out of shape? The reason is God specifically had told the people um, to go out and populate the earth. Um, so what, what looked like, you know, okay goals. I mean, it's very clear though. They're saying they're wanting to be famous. So they're kind of working for their own gratification and, and glorification and not God's. And they're specifically working against God uh, in, in this specific um, command that he gave them. And the result of it in verse nine, it says, in this way he scattered them all over the world, which that was by confusing their language so that they couldn't communicate. So then, you know, people who spoke the same language went off together and, you know, populated the earth. So in this case, God's goal is accomplished despite the people's attempted opposition to him. Um, they were working hard toward a goal, but it was not God's goal, it was their goal, and a goal of glorifying themselves instead of obeying and glorifying God. Uh, another place from the Bible uh, that's a little bit scary. Um, this is from Jesus. Um, he says in Matthew, um, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, what seems really scary about this to me is this sure sounds like people who are specifically joining in God's work. They're performing miracles and casting out demons. Jesus did these things. Like that, that's like a description of at least some of the things that Jesus did while he was on earth. Uh, so it seems like how more in alignment with God's work can you be? Um, but Jesus said that these people are not known by him. They were not working with God even though they were doing the sort of work um, that seems like it's in line with God, casting out demons. They were working against demons but not working with Jesus. Um, so in both of these examples, the people are working for their own ends, not for God's. They're glorifying themselves with the Tower of Babel, leaning on the most outwardly prestigious spiritual acts of prophecy and miracles in the case of um, the get away from me, you who break God's laws people. Um, but, and those people weren't spending time with God quietly praying, um, getting to know him and what he wants for their life and their work. They were not saying, God, what do you want me to do? Be with me as I work and, and cast out demons and, or asking, is this even what you want me to do? Um, so then, how do we work? How does this apply to us? How do we join in God's work in the world? Um, and I think on a practical level, kind of going back to these examples, that it has a lot to do with what motivates your work. Um, 
Are you working to advance yourself, to be more important, to accumulate wealth, um, you know, even just to, to show that you are, are good or, or valuable in what you do? Um, that's kind of the Babel way of doing things. Um, Paul wrote in Colossians about our focus when we work. He said, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Now this, so this is another passage that's a letter. It's written to specific people and you gotta, you gotta watch that. So in this case, it was actually written to slaves. <laughs> so um, that's part of what that master um, language is about. Um, I do think that this applies to when we're working, to, to our work in general, for normal jobs where we aren't necessarily choosing what we do. Um, but, but we need to do work to support ourselves and our family, which, by the way, working, even if it's not like your favorite thing or it's not you know, changing the world positively, working to support your, your family and yourself and to meet needs, that is good and noble work. I mean, it, it, you can argue that there's other things that, you know, if you're working in your passion, that's so much more fulfilling. I agree, but working just to pay the bills isn't a bad thing. It, is, it may not be the best thing, but that is good and noble and worthwhile work. Um, so, and I, I think this kind of talks to that, is whatever you're doing, um, work as if you're working for, for the Lord, for Jesus. Um, and I think that that is at least a big step um, toward making sure that you're working in line with God. Um, it's pretty similar to the saying my dad told us growing up that anything that is worth doing is worth doing well. Uh, and I, I would even extend that saying um, to anything that you find yourself doing, you might as well do your best at. Um, I like changing it this way for people um, who think that their job isn't really worth doing or like that they don't feel that sense of purpose. Or for people in school, that they're like, oh, this class doesn't apply to anything. I'm not, you know, I think they're wrong in those cases most of the time. Uh, but just because you don't think that it's, you, you can't see it, um, it doesn't, you should not teach yourself to not work hard at things. Like it is, it is much better in life to work hard at things, to exercise the muscles of working hard and doing your best than to learn to slack off and skate by. It is just, infinitely better <laughs> to, to work hard at things than it is to learn to slack off. And even just like, just anecdotally, um, with any work, job, or task, it's so much more rewarding and satisfying when you're working hard at it, both from like a, how time passes. Like if you're just looking at the clock, trying to get through something, and just slogging through, and even when you're just trying to not work, it takes way longer and you're just like miserable. Like even, it's like, ah, oh, I'm gonna figure out how to not work. You're usually miserable when you're not working and trying to, trying to get by. Whereas if you are engaged in your work, if you're losing yourself in it and really applying your skills and talents to accomplish something, the time passes quickly. And when you're done, you, le you are felt left with a sense of satisfaction that you accomplished something that was worthwhile, that you grew, that you stretched, and that you did something that was, that was tangible and worthwhile. Um, so if you couple this with choosing to work hard because we are working for Christ, as the verse from Colossians says, then I think we get a good part of the way to working in a way that is working with God instead of against him. Um, all right, one example of how we do this too, this, that's getting back to what I thought was kind of the disjointed part about, about children in this, in this, uh, this psalm. Um, 
And this is, I can't take credit for this. I, I read, I, like I said, when I first read this, I was like, man, these are not related. But then I read the, the book that inspired our series, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And he points to the last part of the psalm as an example of how working alongside God works. Um, so let's reread the last three verses. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. So the connection uh, that he makes here is that when we have children, we do some of the most significant, um, like God-blessed work in our lives. Actually, I think I've shared this before, but I, I remember when my, when my mom was, was near dying and I expect, you know, I was having one of the last conversations I had with her. Um, I, I expected that, you know, that she was gonna like tell me, you know, do something really important with your life. Go, like I thought she was gonna tell me to, I don't know why I thought this, but like if she would've told me to go into ministry and quit my job, I probably would've done it. <laughs> um, but what she said is to take care of my kids. and to love them, um, which, you know, she was, she knew she, I mean, she, knew she was dying. <laughs> um, at that point, that's what she was telling me was the important stuff, not go try and do something significant that, you know, everyone around the world's gonna know about you for. Take care of your kids. Um, and I think that that is kind of what this gets at, that this is a place, this is what God is saying is significant, a thing in our lives that, is work, but is God's work, very clearly. And when you look at how, like the, just the process of having kids, um, it is us joining with God in that work of creation and of building up people, and a lot of it is taken care of by God. Now, women do a lot too. Men, we, we don't, we kinda, at least the, the actual conception and birthing process, our, our contribution is comically small. Um, Jim Gaffigan does a whole thing on this. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, even, even, on the, even on the women's side, I don't want to minimize that, but so much of the growing of a human is put in place by God with how he made our bodies. So when, when we go to have kids, um, it is joining in with God, and it is something that could not happen just with our effort. It is all based on his creation and, and the work that he is doing while we're also, you know, hopefully doing all the good things that you do when you're pregnant, the prenatal vitamins, all that stuff that's good, that's good stuff to do, but that's not why your baby's ultimately growing and healthy, it helps, but God has set that up and put in our bodies, way, you know, things that do this. And then after that, when you get to raising kids, um, that's another way that we um, join in God's work. Um, and beyond that, you know, I don't think that this just means people who have kids or who are married or um, you know, actually have kids or plan on having kids, this can apply to people who are single and childless too. Uh, I talked at the beginning um, about how, how much of my, how I had family that weren't my blood relations. Uh, my dad's coworkers, people from our church, um, that you know, my, my actual family and grandparents were great, but they were in Colorado. Um, these, these were my family that were where we lived um, that really, poured into my life, arguably in a more significant way than my, my actual grandparents, even though they were great for the week or two that we saw them each year. Um, so, 
anyone can join in God's work of raising kids and raising them um, to, to love him and, and to be good people um, and to, to love others. It doesn't just have to be people in your family. You can adopt people into your family. That's kind of what, what a lot of the Bible is about and how salvation works, that we are adopted into God's family. We're co-heirs with Christ. You can do that same thing by loving the people around you. You can take other people's kids and help mentor them. You can pour into their lives. It doesn't have to be kids either. It's just the, that's the, um, the metaphor. It can just be other people who don't have a family, or even who do, that you can show them the love of Jesus, show them how it is to be a family, um, and kind of bringing that love and God's love to them is a huge part of what God's work in the world is, is to love other people and extend your family. Uh, this, is, this is biblical too, it's not just me saying it. <laughs> um, Paul calls Timothy his, his son um, in Jesus. So he, he looks at, looked at Timothy as a son. Um, in, during his ministry, there's a point where Jesus is teaching and his mother and his brothers show up and they say, hey Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, um, he points around to his disciples, he says, who are my mothers and my, my mother and brothers? Points around to his disciples and said, these, these are my mother and my brothers. Uh, and then he says, anyone who does the will of my father is my sister and mother and brother. Um, kind of getting again, and, and I don't think the takeaway there is, oh, Jesus didn't care about his actual, <laughs> his actual family. The idea there is that there is another family that, that is important, um, that you can be family to people who are not your blood. And I think that that applies to all of us. And I, frankly, I, I think this is something I'm not great at, and I <laughs> have reflected on this, and um, yeah, I mean, there's just, Treat people like they are your family, even though that's not the actual blood relation you have to them, and that they can change people's lives. Um, all right, and for just kind of to connect some dots for anyone who was here last week, th- this whole section about um, you know your children being your joy and that that's how God blesses you that was very big in the two psalms that we looked at last week on joy, which that was Psalm 126 and 128. This is Psalm 127 right in the middle. So there is kind of a consistent thing there. That was very much like a, a way in the Old Testament that was looked at of God blessing. And I don't mean that to say like they thought that they were wrong. I, I absolutely think God blesses people through children. Uh, but that was, that's a very strong, um, oh, strong theme through, through these psalms here. Um, Let's see, okay, so that is the end of the five verses. We have unpacked all of it. So we will move on to application. So we hit some of this as we went. So first I'm gonna recap. Um, First one, work and rest rhythm of life. Work six days, rest one. The one day of rest being a Sabbath. Um, This rhythm of life helps us, keeps us away from both sides that that we're warned against in scripture, the idle laziness of 2 Thessalonians and the anxious worker um, that we looked at in this psalm. Um, if you want resources on doing a Sabbath, there's a lot of them. Um, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry has a chapter on it that really is very good on how to do it practically. There are other resources. That's the one that I've listened to the most recently. Um, so it's the one that I'm pointing to. So I think that's really good. You can also, oh, Practicing the Way is done, is made by the guy who wrote that book. Um, so if you want to go there and look for practical resources on Sabbath, that's, I'm sure that's a good way to do it too. I mean, you can also just be like, all right, I'm gonna rest for a day. Like, you can just do it that simply and, and figure, figure out how to be more, I don't know, 
to be better at it later. Like I think doing it and committing to do it is more important than doing it perfectly. And if you read through the New Testament, the people trying to do Sabbath perfectly, Jesus did not have good things to say for. Um, they went a little overboard. So anyway, not that, it, not that we shouldn't try to do better at things we should. So anyway, uh, next one. Uh, when you work, work as if you are working for Jesus. Um, yeah, so think of work. And I, I, work is hard. I mean, that, that clip earlier there is definitely a piece of work that it's like, I'd rather not be working. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> that's part of why you're paid to do it. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of a focus thing. Um, it's kind of responsibility. Being, part of being a grown-up is you've got to work and you've got to do these things, and it's, um, it's really a better, better way to live. Um, third one, which we just talked through this, invest in the lives of kids and of others, and this is a clear way that you can join in God's work. Uh, I really think this is... It, it, this is a way that you can be transformational in people's lives. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's a very clear application of what working in alignment with God's work in the world looks like. Um, and then for the last one, um, I'm gonna call back to the passage from Matthew where Jesus talks about people saying to him, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons, and he says, I never knew you. Um, this is not where uh, we want to be at the end of our lives. Um, working hard and God or Jesus being like, yeah, I didn't actually know you. Um, get away from me, you evildoers. Um, so I think the application there is that we need to live our lives with God um, in our work, our play, and everything we do. So I'm going to give the most basic, common, and transformative message application that there is, which is spend time with God. Spend time with God every day. Um, this may sound like a broken record, because we say this a lot. Um, this is one of those that it's like, when, when someone asks for another application point, even all the ones that I just did, if you haven't done this one, you need to go back to this one. <laughs> spend time with God, spend time in prayer, spend time in the Bible. Uh, and again, I, I just, this is partly based on things I just read, but um, spend time in silence, um, which is a hard one, I do like six minutes. I don't even do it long, because it's hard. <laughs> the whole idea with silence is quieting everything around you and quieting what is inside you um, so that you can be at peace, be at rest, and so God can speak to you. Um, it's kind of the thing where like, if you're gonna have this relationship that's supposed to be the most important relationship in your life, think of a, a marriage or a best friend. Um, if you never let the other person talk, <laughs> or you d don't ever set aside time just to be with them um, and to talk to them and let them talk to you to be in conversation, then you don't have a relationship. Um, that, that's how relationships are built, is through time spent with people. Um, so uh, again, I know that we, we bring up this application point a lot. That's because it's one of the most important application points there can possibly be. Spend time with God. Um, if you take nothing else away from this, all the Sabbath work stuff and me reflecting on my father, spend time with God. That's the most important one. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so this is, this is also getting at, it's both important to build that relationship, but this is also how the rest with God works. Um, spending time with him, 
allow, like what, when it says in our passage that it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning till late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. The way that we rest in him is by spending time with him. Um, spend time in silence, um, not just spending time um, to be by ourselves, but with God. Um, let God restore you, let God speak to you if he wants to, um, and let God restore you for your day, for your week, for whatever work he has for you to do, or for whatever you find yourself trying to do your best at. Even if it's something that you kind of feel like you'd rather not be doing, let God restore you so that you have the strength, the energy to do that. Um, and let God's rest carry you through. That is all I have. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God, uh, I thank you for this, for providing this, this new space for us to worship, Lord. Um, I thank you for everyone who got here early today to figure out how this would work um, in, in this new space for, um, you know, for the area outside. I thank you that that, that seems like it's gonna be a great place for people to gather, Lord. I thank you for being with us today. Um, I thank you that you will give us rest um, and that you will give us meaningful work to do, Lord. Um, I thank you that that there is purpose um, in our lives, God, that it's not just work to get money, to go have fun and, and kind of just blast through things while we live here, Lord, but that there, that there are things we can do and that we can accomplish and lives that we can touch that really matter. We love you, God. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.